You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World This Week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Now... Let's thank all those people who uh, made the time and effort to uh, fill in nomination forms for myself to uh, stand as an independent Senate candidate. Now, obviously, I still need to lodge my application, which I'll do later on today, and we'll see what happens, what uh, barriers they can put in the way. But either way, we're going to have a good campaign. Over 140 people turned up. It was great to see so many... uh, Listeners, many long-term listeners and some who have just started listening to the program, making the effort to be involved. Not in terms of uh, seeing me elected. I mean, the way, unless you've got a few million dollars these days, it's a little bit difficult running a campaign. Even the independent for Goldstein's got a $1.3 million in her little uh, dilly bag. So what I'm saying is I'd like to thank all those people and uh, let's see what type of uh, election campaign we'll be running. We'll be keeping our powder dry till next week and uh, we will talk about it much more detailed next week. Now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos means without rulers. Anarchism, the anarchist struggles, the struggle to create a society without rulers. Why are we concerned about rulers? Because it's inequalities in power and wealth which allow most of the atrocities which occur on this planet, whether it's child poverty in Australia or the uh, the war in the Ukraine, to occur. I mean, concentrating power in the hands of a small minority is a surefire recipe for disaster for the majority of uh, people. Surefire power. If you look at history, if you look at the... Uh, battles during history, if you look at the revolts, the rebellions, the revolutions, the wasted lives, it's all been about ensuring that a small minority continues to exercise power over a majority, a significant majority for their own benefit. And obviously the current federal election campaign highlights that this struggle is a daily struggle. It's not just something that occurs every three years where you're asked or compelled in Australia to um, cast a ballot, but it's a struggle which is involved in every day, whether it's a struggle about a little pedestrian crossing outside where you live or whether it's a bigger struggle. The key is inequalities in power and wealth 
And the way you resolve that is through democratising power by breaking down hierarchy and holding wealth in common, a very common concept in Australia as theoretically we live in the Commonwealth of Australia, which obviously we don't, but that is the idea. So if you are involved in the struggle to devolve power or share power or the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good, whether you think you're an anarchist or not, you are part of that worldwide struggle to break down those hierarchical divisions which give small groups of people the power to sacrifice millions of lives on the God, King and Country altar. All right, let's move on. Now, I find it ridiculous currently. Now, in my opinion... And again, this is just my opinion. It's not a humble opinion, obviously. But in my opinion, Mr Scott Morrison is almost as bad or worse than Billy McMahon as Prime Minister of this country. Almost. What's been extraordinary is how his sins have been brushed under the carpet by the legacy media and social media to a significant degree. And it just seems like we have a 24-hour memory span. We're like goldfish, you know? Although sometimes I think goldfish has a longer memory span than uh, many of my uh, fellow citizens. It's as if what happened yesterday has no bearing on what happens today or the type of future we are going to have. And Mr Morrison as Prime Minister of this country is a classical example of how this system works. A classical example of how this system works. Because you may have noticed that he is the man who you could call the Teflon King. Nothing seems to stick. And why doesn't it stick? Because we have a system of government and an ownership structure in the Australian media which ensures that the most outrageous comments, most outrageous behaviour and the most outrageous legislative agenda that you can put on the plate continues to be seen as reasonable, decent, and the mistakes that are made by the Liberal National Party are forgiven and forgotten. Because we don't have a media that is willing to pin Mr Morrison and his Liberal National cohorts to the wall. Not willing to pin them to the wall. Now, obviously, we don't have presidents in this country. We have a Governor-General, which is appointed by the Governor of the day, but this election campaign, like the last few election campaigns, has been a presidential campaign where it's about electing Mr Morrison or electing Mr Albanese or electing somebody else. It's not about Morrison and Albanese. It's the people of this country electing representatives in the, in the House of Representatives and the Senate to represent them in Parliament. And then it's the party with the 
largest number of seats or can cobble together a coalition which then elects the Prime Minister. We don't elect the Prime Minister. And the wonderful thing about the Morrison campaign is it's all about Mr Morrison. When was the last time you saw one of his little acolytes come out into the sunshine and open their mouths? And when they do open their mouths, you can actually see the vacuousness, I love that word, I think I just made it up, of their arguments. So let's look at Mr Morrison's career. Now, I'm not the only one who sees Mr Morrison as a liar. His own political colleagues call him a liar. His political colleagues call him a hypocrite. His political colleagues, colleagues say he's un, totally untrustworthy, that he uses his gospel his new age Pentecostal version of Christianity as a cloak for his behaviour. Now, if Mr Morrison was in a war, and obviously he's very good at organising wars, not very good about fighting them, he would be classified as absent without leave. When it comes to a Prime Minister who is absent without leave, Mr Morrison has a goal five, seven gold star rating. Absent without leave during the major bushfires in this country in 2019. Shrugged his shoulders, sorry, needed a holiday. Absent without leave when it came to the coronavirus Absent without leave when it came to vaccinations. Absent without leave when it came to the floods. Absent without leave when it comes to the climate emergency. Remember, this is the man who bought a piece of coal into Parliament as a senior minister. As far as he is concerned... The climate emergency is a hoax. It doesn't exist. And although the Liberal National Party rhetoric has changed in order to ensure political survival, it has not changed in terms of policy initiatives. I mean, there's about 200 nation-states, sovereign nation-states on the planet. Most of them are relatively small. Now, Australia has now been relegated to number 54 as far as the response to the climate emergency is concerned. Number 54, our response is worse than the United States of America, which had a president which believed it was all a hoax. Missing in action when it comes to defence. Now, this is the Prime Minister who has dragged this country into unnecessary confrontation with some of the most powerful nation-states on the planet, like China, for the privilege of hanging on to the United States' coat's tail. I mean, we're happy to fight anywhere the United States thinks it's important that we fight to protect United States' interests, but this government has no interest whatsoever 
in protecting or securing Australia's future in our region. If you live in a fire-prone area, you are asked to remove debris in order to protect your property. And you will do it in the majority of cases to protect your property because you're in a fire-prone area. Now, we are in a fire-prone area as far as possible future military aggression is concerned as the country's resor- as the planet's resources dwindle and as we are a major supply of resources to the rest of the world. But in terms of bolstering, our presence in the region, we have deserted our regional neighbours in order to pander to United States foreign policy, which is based on endless war. Nothing highlights this than the agreement, the security agreement that's been signed by the Solomon Islands government in China, which has come to light in the last day or two, although there's been discussion about it for over a year. And why are the Pacific our Pacific neighbours? Countries like Vanuatu, Solomon Islands, which is 2,000 kilometres off the east coast of Australia, off the east coast of Queensland. Don't forget that, you know, Queenslanders. Think about it. Why is the Solomon Islands signing a security agreement with the Chinese government. It's very simple. Because we are a middle-level power in the world, a major power in this part of the, of the planet, and we have consciously deserted our Pacific neighbours on a number of exceptionally important issues over the last 10 years during the Abbott-Turnbull-Morrison disaster decade. $18 billion has, removed, has been removed from foreign aid. The ABC Foreign Language Program has been scrapped. Pandering to racist uh, sentiments, we have decreased aid to many of these little, minor sovereign nation states which with important strategic value as far as Australia's security is concerned in order to pander to racist elements in our society who think giving a dollar to somebody overseas with a different racial origin is somehow a mortal sin. Pandering to this section of society, we have ensured that our Pacific Island neighbours think of us as a absent parent. Think of us as a deadbeat father. When it came to the issue of climate emergency, which is exceptionally important for most of our Pacific neighbours who are not blessed with high mountains, and many of these uh, Pacific countries would be wiped out within the next 20 to 30 years. We're already seeing what's happening as far as climate emergency is concerned in the Torres Strait, 
in the Saibai Islands, which is part of Australia, three kilometres from the coast of Papua New Guinea. Their vegetable gardens are now under seawater because of rising sea levels. Within 30 years, a whole culture, a whole people may disappear off the face of the planet. And these are Australians, although they weren't considered to be Australians till 1967, but we'll talk about that later on in the program. So here we are, MIA, Morrison MIA, missing in action. When it comes to the climate emergency, when it comes to the security of Australians, when it comes to increasing issues regarding disasters, when it came to the pandemic, when it comes to looking after the interests of the 1.2 million children who live in poverty in this rich nation, when it comes to the one-third of the population who rely on Social Security benefits of less than $500 a week to survive, when it comes to all those workers who find themselves in poorly paid part-time work, when it comes to criminalising trade union activity so wages don't increase, when it comes to bankrupting small business. I mean, they think of themselves as the small business party. The reality is the Liberal National Party are corporate Australia's Trojan horse in Parliament. And everything you hear Morrison talk about during this election campaign, and it's only Morrison, we never hear his bloody brain-dead ministers actually be interviewed about anything, and when they do, what comes out of their mouths is is brain-dead. I was going to say something else, but I won't. There may be kiddies listening to the program. I mean, this is a brain-dead government which relies on fear, which relies on stoking divisions, as we're seeing with the transgender debate, which relies on pitting Australians against Australians, which relies on dog-whistling to the racist elements in our society, which relies on marginalising and criminalising activists in this country. So no wonder the Solomon Islands has signed a security pact with the Chinese government, which has promised to invest billions of dollars in the Solomon Islands on the undertaking that they can actually uh, make their investments secure. So think about it. Morrison missing in action. And why am I concentrating on Morrison? I'll tell you why I'm concentrating on Morrison. Because he is the face of the Liberal National Party. This is an election which is currently being fought in houses around this country. And because of the legacy media in this country, the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC and their spin-offs on social media, we are not seeing any real debate about any real issue. And I'll tell you why. Under the ABC Charter, the ABC has to give 
a percentage of time to the government of the day, a percentage of time to the opposition, a percentage of time to minor parties and a percentage of time, blah, blah, blah. So if you're independent, your chances of being listening, listened to is minimal. So no wonder the independents are moving towards obtaining funding from private organisations in order to conduct campaigns. Because we've seen this campaign highlighted by the fact that it's, it's, the top, it's the amount of money you have that is important as far as ideas are concerned. So how does the campaign work? It's very simple. Because the legacy media loves to control the agenda. It's very simple. The corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. The leaders of the parties go out. They do two press conferences a day. They have a little, what they call, a little show surrounded by, uh, you know, supporters who keep the rabble, you and me, away from shouting insults at them. And then bingo, on TV, on radio, on social media, that's the issue of the day. And if any political party wants to raise any issues outside the norm, they will be totally marginalised, totally marginalised. But more importantly, they will be rubbish to the cows come home. And although social media is supposed to level the playing field, it doesn't level the playing field. Social media is basically another form of centralised, controlled media. That's all it is. Nothing more. A little bit of debate on the fringes. But as far as most of the crap you see, it's the same crap. So if the Australian people want to re-elect a Morrison-led government, so be it. If they want a Prime Minister who's missing in action as far as climate change is concerned, so be it. If they want a Prime Minister who's missing in action when it comes to this country's security, so be it. It's one thing sending back boats of unarmed refugees. It's another thing squaring up to a major military superpower. And Morrison is the type of leader that leads from the rear. He leads from the rear time and time again. If it comes to addressing the issue of poverty in this country, then re and you wish to elect a Morrison government, so be it. We reap what we sow. And currently in this nation, we have created a divided nation, a nation divided in terms of opportunity, a nation divided between investors and the rest of the community, a nation that's totally divided in terms of the climate emergency, refugees, asylum seekers, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And you will get more of the same over the next five weeks. 
more of the same garbage, more of the same scripted debates, more of the same inane, stupid, ignorant policies put forward by inane, ignorant, stupid, self-seeking, self-serving people. And for what? And for what? To ensure that this country's future legislative agenda over the next three years continues to support that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. As we've seen with the Morrison government standing up and saying, we wish to change the industrial relations law to make it even more easier to crush any workers' demands. We wish to give the corporate sector, especially the resource centre, more corporate welfare. We wish to ignore the issue of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander rights in this country. We wish to continue to ignore the issue of the demands made, or the requests, not demands made, by Indigenous leaders which are enshrined in the Uluru Statement from the Heart of 2017. We continue to stumble constantly, never able to solve any issue because of the inability or the unwillingness of many people in this country to understand that most of the inequalities that exist in this country are due to the inequalities of power and wealth which have leapfrogged over the last few decades. We seem to think that the only model towards the future is the private investment, the private profit model. Continuously, continuously, we see Morrison lead that brigade. So if you want a Morrison-led government to reappear on the 21st of May, keep believing the propaganda. Keep believing that this man is the son of God. Keep believing he can do no wrong because he is the current face of a Liberal National Party which most Liberals and Nationals no longer recognise and that's why we are seeing so many long-term Liberal and National Party members desert the ship, whether it's sinking or not, because they cannot stomach what the Liberal Party has become and the agribusiness party which masquerades as a national party which looks after rural and regional Australia. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Descartes. I'm hosting today's program. Next week I'll be outlining some real policies for you to listen. Whether I'm standing or not doesn't really matter. Let's just see what the Electoral Commission says today. All right. Now I'm interested in... The Australian Constitution, I'll tell you why, because the Australian Constitution is the skeletal framework which determines the type of society we are. It's that simple. And a lot of people think that the Australian Constitution somehow protects the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. It doesn't. It doesn't. 
the Attorney General, sorry, the Minister these days for uh, security, home security, whatever it's called, has the power to ban any organisation any time he, he or she likes because they may pose a threat to Australia. And we're not talking about a physical threat, maybe even a financial threat. You can be arrested and held for seven days, questioned. If you don't answer questions, you can be jailed for up to five years. And if you tell anybody you've been arrested and you know taken off the streets and questioned for seven days, you can also be jailed. I'm not making this up. This isn't this isn't China or Russia or the you know this isn't some tin pot dictatorship somewhere. This is supposedly a society that believes in free speech. There is no free speech in this country. I mean, if I was effective, I can assure you that this program would be closed down. I mean, the reason we continue to broadcast is because of the minimal, marginal impact we have on society. The High Court of Australia has only found that free speech exists during an election period. And I'll just remind people, I'm responsible for any uh, electoral comment I make. And if you want to sue me, bad luck. Because I don't lie, unlike a lot of people. So, it's the situation we find ourselves in, constantly. I know it's, it's, I mention this every day, every, every week, but I just can't believe it. I live in a country... 25 million people living in a resource-rich continent which produces billionaires from these resources. And we have 1.2 million children living in poverty. We have private charities spruiking for money to send Australian children to public schools. Can you imagine that? Can you believe that? This isn't Bangladesh with 150 million people living on a floodplain who've just taken in a million refugees from Myanmar while we continue to lock up people having the audacity 10 years after they arrived for having the audacity to come into this country on a boat seeking asylum. And we have both political parties saying they will never, 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 never be resettled here and we're supposed to jump up and down and go... Hooray, hooray, hooray. So let's look at our white bread constitution. I use the word white bread for one reason. We live in a multi-grain society with people from over 190 different sovereign nation states. Many immigrants, many refugees, many asylum seekers who have come here to make a fresh start for themselves and their children. But what type of society do they come in? We think this is the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the land of opportunity for everyone. That's the the picture that's painted, the picture-perfect postcard that we see. Let's look at the Australian Constitution. The Australian Constitution is inherently a white bread document which continues to have lasting ramifications for the Australian people. It was set up in 1901 to ensure that we had 
a British Anglo-Celtic empire on the other side of the planet. The first thing that's missing from the Australian Constitution are this country's First Nations people. We walked into their lands, took their lands, practised genocide in order to, you know, graze sheep. And those remnants that remained were marginalised. Their children were taken away. They were abused. And we're not even counted as citizens till the referendum 1967. And we somehow jump up and down because in 1967, 90% of the Australian people decided that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders had, you know, existed. And it wasn't until 1992 that the High Court of Australia found that Indigenous Australians who had a continuous connection to the land had rights in law. And what did we see in 1992? We saw a campaign to water down the Mabo decision to such an extent that it's no longer even relevant in 2022. Now, today, we have a problem. Because this white bread constitution continues to be part and parcel of everyday existence in this country. Let's not forget the first legislative legislation that went through Parliament was the White Australia policy, and all those representatives in Parliament, only one voted against the White Australia policy. And the next piece of legislation that went through Parliament was the Canac Deportation Act, which saw Pacific Islanders who had been blackbirded, kidnapped, brought to this country, used as slave labour and indentured labour in Queensland and New South Wales cane fields who had been here for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, deported back to societies they had no contact with. Over 25 to 30,000 were deported. This is the country that refused people who had come to this country to help develop it like Afghans and Chinese, refused them the right to bring wives to this country. And today, under Section 44 of the Constitution, we have this lingering Anglo-Saxon white policies. As this election, nominations close tomorrow at 12, I think, tomorrow at 12, 21st of May. Section 44 will exclude millions of Australians from actually applying to be candidates in the election. Have you ever wondered why the, the, the Australian Parliament, the white-bred Australian Parliament, doesn't reflect the multi-grain society we live in in 2022 and section 44 goes a long way to ensuring the white bread nature of the Australian parliament continues even people who are born in this country 
are not entitled to stand for Parliament unless they jump through so many hoops that most people say, what's the point? Even their children and their grandchildren. How many immigrants know that their children and grandchildren who are born in this country don't have an who don't have any other citizenship or never apply for any other citizenship have no right to stand for the Australian Parliament. No right. No wonder we continue to have a white bread government and a white bread electoral process. We still have the stigmata of the Australian Constitution, the stain of this racist constitution affecting millions of people in this country. Millions of people in this country. Not just the original inhabitants. Not just this country's First Nations people. But all these countries, all these immigrants who have come to this country, who through their blood, sweat and tears, through the exploitation and racist abuse they experienced during that period, now find their children and grandchildren can't stand for Parliament unless they go through some rigorous, rigorous examination and have to jump through hoops. Think about it. A white bread constitution, which is interpreted by white bread high court judges who are appointed by a white bread government which uses a white bread electoral process to continue that change does not occur in this society. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scar. I'm hosting today's program. I'm very concerned, not about the election. I'm concerned about the militarisation of Anzac Day. Anzac Day falls on the 25th of April and theoretically it was set up in order to remember the war dead. Anzac Day, the 25th of April, was established to ensure that those who died fighting wars around the country, sorry, around the planet, who died, and in many cases for nothing, are remembered. I have no problems with that. I think it's important war dead are remembered, especially in this country. Because most of the people that have died in war in this country have died overseas. Obviously, I'm not talking about the consequences when they come back home and the health issues that surround many veterans when they come back home and the way successive governments have refused to recognise the cost of turning people into killing machines, the personal cost, the familial cost. Only now, after decades of struggle, are veterans getting a little bit of justice in terms of a royal commission into what they've had to suffer. Now, World War One, we lost more people, this country lost more people in World War One that have been killed in every war since World War One. 
was a dirty little nasty war fought by, for trade by workers at either end of a bayonet. Out of a population of 5 million, 420,000 men volunteered. Volunteered. The jingoism of war was at its height during World War One. They volunteered to fight in what they thought was a few weeks campaign. 62,000 died on the European killing fields in this dirty little trade war fought by sovereign nations, fought for the glory of God, king and country by workers at either end of a bayonet. 62 million, sorry, 62,000. Of those that returned, another 60,000 died within 10 years of their war injuries or psychological issues. And think of the profound impact it had on Australian society to lose so many men in such a short period of time. For what? For God? For king? For country? They weren't defending their homelands. While we refuse to acknowledge the hundreds of thousands of First Nations people that died in this country defending their family, their friends, their clan, their tribe, their language, their land. We continue to celebrate World War I as if it was some type of, you know, blooding exercise. It made us into a nation because we spilt blood on the European killing fields. What concerns me about Anzac Day is not the fact that we remember the dead. The dead need to be remembered. If we don't remember the dead and why they died, if we brush under the carpet, we continue to make the same mistakes. Whether it's Vietnam or Afghanistan or some other theatre of war. Because let's not forget the whole Australian military structure and security is not here to defend Australia. It is here to defend United States interests in the hope the United States will come to our defence. And obviously when it comes to the United States, as we've seen in the Ukraine, it's United States interests all the way. So we may find ourselves in the same situation the Ukrainians find themselves. Sacrifices, sacrifices for United States foreign policy. But getting back to Anzac Day. My concern is that this Anzac Day is going to be militarised. We are going to see, you know, the, uh, the backyard generals come out in force. We are going to see the politicians beat the drums of war using Anzac Day to promote militarisation, to promote the increased militarisation that the missing in action Prime Minister has foisted on the Australian people. That the honouring of the dead will be forgotten and all and all be about nuclear submarines big and armed forces, making Australia into a uh, centre of creating, you know, um, military interest for the military-industrial complex in the United States. And the list goes on and on. 
So on the 25th of April, if you are involved in an Anzac ceremony and you see people, especially those in authority, you know, especially those backyard warriors who've never shed a, a drop of blood, and you see them use this day as a day to promote militarism in our society, as a day to increase the call for war, make sure they are called out. And I'm sure every veteran in our society will call out this behaviour because this is totally unacceptable behaviour when governments and forces in our community that wish to promote war for whatever reason use a day of remembrance, and that's what Anzac Day is, a day of remembrance, to push their pro-war, military-industrial complex agenda. So let's be very careful on the 25th of April. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. May Day. May Day falls on Sunday this year. Now, that's important in Victoria. It's not important in Queensland and Northern Territory where they have a public holiday for May Day. And to a significant degree, that public holiday for May Day in Queensland and Northern Territory exists because of the strong working class movement in the 19th century, which forced the government of the day to uh, make May Day an important day. Now, May Day has got an interesting origins. It originated in uh, 1884 when the combined trade unions of uh, Canada and the United States called on the world to make the 1st of May 1886 a day of international protest regarding the introduction of the eight-hour day. Now, I'll go through the history of May Day next, next week, but I think what's important is that you will find that any um, any remembrance as far as May Day is concerned has basically been written out of the history books, totally out of the history books in this country. And it's quite interesting how workers have now been divided and uh, it's important that uh, we look at the history of May Day but we'll look at that next week because I think uh, it's getting closer to May Day. I think it's Sunday week. We'll look at that. Uh, We'll do a a program. Uh, We'll do some of the program next week regarding the history of May Day here in Australia and why it's still important in 2022, which is 130 years after the first May Day march which occurred in Melbourne in 1892 and 131 years since the first day May Day march which occurred in Australia on the 1st of May in Bark Calden during the height of the Shearer strike in 1891. Now I know people gloss over but I think it's important that we understand. And I'd just like to go back to Anzac Day and World War One because... There were heroes and heroines in World War One, because the government of the day wanted to kowtow to the British Empire. Billy Hughes and his government 
Now, Billy Hughes was a great Prime Minister. He was, a little bit as good, he was just as good as uh, Morrison, if not better. He was an MIA man, missing in action man. He loved, he loved to send people to their deaths on the European killing fields, but uh, not his family or himself, obviously. But just getting back to that concept. Now, World War One. We're told we, this was a united nation that we wanted out there. We all wanted to fight for the glory of God, king and country. Well, there are very important elements in Australian society, in the trade union movement, in the women's movement, in the radical socialist and anarchist movement, in the industrial workers of the world, who joined together in the churches, many of the churches who joined together to resist this government's attempts, the Hughes government's attempts to introduce conscription into this country. And they defeated two conscription referendums in December 1916 and December 1917. And why was the government forced... Sorry, they weren't referendums, they were plebiscites. Why was the government forced to hold plebiscites? Because they were concerned they were concerned that if they didn't hold a plebiscite, they would lose government. And although so many young Australian men were dying on the European killing fields, the Australian people, including soldiers at the front, voted to ban conscription in this country. And when you travel around the country, and I'm sure now that the COVID-19 restrictions are beginning to be rescinded, you'll notice war memorials to all these young men who died needlessly on the European killing fields in World War One. And I'm talking about World War One, not World War Two, which is war against fascism, but World War One. And but there are no monuments to the hundreds of thousands, not millions of Australians who banded together to stop another 60,000 young Australian men dying on the European killing fields for the glory of God, kin and country. So you see how history is manipulated to suit the victors. And that's why I've got this great concern about the militarisation of Anzac Day this year. Because with this heightened talk of war, with this heightened talk of military alliances, with this heightened talk of increasing defence spending, it's quite likely we will see people like Morrison and elements of his government and conservative and reactionary elements in the society using the deaths of over 103,000 Australians who've died in fighting wars, mainly overseas, although... Some died in North Australia during World War One. Sorry, World War Two, during the bombing of Darwin and Derby and Broome, Thursday Island, which people have forgotten about. But the key is, let's not turn Anzac Day into a day of military jingoism, because it's the last thing we need to, you know, to sully the memory of those who died. All right, let's move on. In the last few minutes, let's move on. Now, a lot of people are saying to me, what are your policies, Joe? Well, I'm going to uh, um, you know, put them out next week and they're a little bit out of left field. 
So what's my uh, slogan? Every political candidate needs a slogan. Even if you're not standing for Parliament, you still need a slogan. And my slogan is a very simple slogan, which I think highlights the type of program the anarchist world this is. And my slogan is, be realistic, demand the impossible. That's right. Be realistic, demand the impossible. If nobody makes what seem at first to be impossible demands, nothing will ever change. The role of the radical in society is exceptionally important because it's these radical elements which create a social movement and political movement and cultural movement which ensures that change continues to occur. And for far too long in this country, we have seen the idea of putting across demands and requests and ideas that don't fit the current private investment for private profit parameters that our society is governed by not being aired. So demand, you know, be realistic, demand the impossible, and change will occur. If you don't demand what seems to be impossible, nothing will ever change in our society. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is heard across Australia, as I said before, via the Community Radio Network. The program is a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm responsible for any electoral material on this program. You can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the Public. YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Um, podcast, 3cr.org. Anarchist World This Week, freecr.org.au. Once again, thank you to all those people who uh, nominated me as an independent candidate for the uh, Senate. I'll put in my nomination form this afternoon and we'll see what happens. I'll let you know next week. We'll be starting our campaign next week with a list of policies and, more importantly, a list of taxes that need to be used to ensure that every person in this country has a fair share of the cake. The problem is, isn't the size of the cake. We have a very large cake in Australia for 25 million people. The problem is how the cake is shared. Some people are billionaires by exploiting other people's labours and some people are on social security benefits. So it's how the cake is shared is the problem, not the size of the cake. We're told constantly we have to work harder and make sacrifices. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.